Well, good morning, St. Paul's. It's really terrific to have so many of you here on Palm Sunday. We're so glad you joined us today. Whether you're curious about faith, maybe you're critical or you're committed, you're in person or you're online, we're so glad you're here. Today is the beginning of Holy Week, and I'm going to call it right now. This is the most important week in all of 2023, and that's not because of the indictment of Donald Trump. Not only is it this year's most consequential week, the first Holy Week was the most important week in all of human history. The week where a young tradesman from an insignificant village in the Middle East named Jesus, he said some stuff, he was arrested, he was tortured, he was murdered, and then three days later, hundreds of eyewitnesses claimed to see him alive. This is the most consequential week in human history, whether you analyze it through a political, military, uh, scientific, sociological, anthropological lens, you give me any analytical lens and I will make that claim. Because the first Holy Week, 2,000 years ago, and the one we're standing on the edge of this morning, it's not just about good news. It's about the best news. It's about the best news of how the past, the present, and the future of your life and mine all come together in a single week. But this week of weeks, it starts with an odd story of that man, Jesus, riding into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey with people waving palms. It's odd. So we're going to have three visual images to help us understand how the past, present, and future all come together in this one week and what that means for us with all our doubts and our questions. And the first image is going to be that donkey, the past. Image number two is going to be the palms, our present. And image number three will be the cross, how the past, present, and future all lock together in one week. Image number one, that donkey. Now, today has not become known as Donkey Sunday, right? For a long time, the palm has been the symbol for today, even though only one of the biographies of Jesus tells us that the branches the crowd waved were palms. And the palm was not the symbol that Jesus chose. He selected a donkey. Noting the uh, showbiz warning to never work with children and small animals, why was the donkey the symbol that Jesus chose? Well, a little bit of context. Jesus is entering Jerusalem on Passover week, and it's a week-long festival celebrating how God has rescued the Israelites from slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt. And if you missed Tyler's sermon last week about how Passover points us to the cross, you really should catch up on YouTube. Jesus and the disciples, they've decided to celebrate this Passover uh, in Jerusalem. So they're making their way there with thousands of other pilgrims. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he'll send them immediately. 
This donkey was so important to Jesus that he not only scripted the disciples so they wouldn't mess it up, he even reveals his clairvoyance, something he rarely did. And the sharp observer will have noted that Jesus re requested a donkey and a colt to ride, which has caused problems for preachers ever since, not to mention artists and movie makers. Now, it's been suggested that Jesus would have used the adult donkey for the steep descent down the Mount of Olives and then switched to a colt to enter Jerusalem through the Eastern Gate. And Tim and I and our girls walked down that very hill in January so we can attest to you how steep it is. But why was the donkey so important? Was Jesus trying to make a striking visual statement in opposition to another triumphal entry historians believe was happening that very same day? The Roman governor Pontius Pilate was making his own procession coming through the western gate on the Mediterranean side, riding on a stallion with imperial cavalry, flags fluttering in the breeze to reinforce the soldiers of the Temple Mount. Pilate goes for a stallion, Jesus goes for a donkey, is that what's going on? Now Jesus was not adverse to making such statements, but what he actually cared most about was fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy from Zechariah. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophets, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. About a thousand years before Jesus, King Solomon, from whom the Messiah was going to be descended, he also, he rode into Jerusalem on his dad's, uh, King David's, what animal did he ride in on? A donkey. Solomon rode in on King David's donkey. And according to the Jewish Talmud, so firm was the belief that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem on a donkey that if anyone even saw a donkey in his dream, he will see salvation. Jesus didn't want a horse. He wanted a donkey. And what might look like plan B was a specific fulfillment of thousands of years of the past promises of God. You see, the Israelites were not people who had their heads in the sand about the realities of life. They'd been slaves in Egypt, making bricks for Pharaoh's building projects. They were married. They had kids. They knew all about sin. The myriad ways in which we turn away from God and put other things in the center of our lives. And because they were realists, they had a sacrificial system to deal with the consequences of sin. Bring an animal, often a lamb, take it into the temple in Jerusalem, put your hands on it, and your sins would be transferred to the animal, and then it would be slaughtered. The problem was, you had to keep doing it, like a lot. Every day we put other things in front of God, and the wreckage is all around us. And so Jesus entered in on that donkey to fulfill and complete that past pattern of sacrifice. The long-promised Messiah riding on a king's donkey come to be the perfect sacrificial lamb, which only needs to die once. So our past does not have to divine our today. Whether it's the past pain and sin from a decade ago in your life, 
that still claws at you in restless nights? Or the fight you had with your spouse on the way to church? I know. The king riding on a donkey has fulfilled the past, so our past does not own us. Image number two, the palms and the present. Jesus didn't choose the palms, the people did. Why palms? They're not particularly easy to cut down, and many just threw their cloaks on the road instead in their excitement. But palm branches were a symbol of victory in the ancient world, so much so that the Latin word palma would be used as a synonym for victory. A lawyer who won his case would put a palm branch on his front door, and winning athletes would be given a palm. Jesus' fame has been spreading, right? He's raised Lazarus from the dead. He's turned water into wine at a party. He looks like a winner. So people cut down palm branches and waved them as he entered Jerusalem. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna is a Hebrew phrase meaning save us. Because here comes what looks like a winner. Someone who can free them from the hated Roman oppression. The people waved palms because they wanted Jesus to fix their present problems. Political and economic oppression. Christian Freeland's budgets got nothing on the Roman taxation system. Now Jesus is about to disappoint those who wanted a military coup. But the irony is that the King Messiah on a donkey, he's revealing how temporary the power of our political and economic systems is. Putin will fall. In the present, well, governments can touch our incomes, but they can't touch our hopes. They can shape our education systems, but not our identities. They can impact our environment, but not our salvation. And if we think the King Messiah has come simply to, uh, you know, give us advice on how to vote or give a little more to charity, come to church a couple more times a year, that's window dressing. And we're missing how Jesus is not just good news, but how he's the best news. Imagine this. Every week your girlfriend is hinting that she wants you off the sofa and taking her to the new bistro that's open downtown. She mentions other friends who've gone, cooks you meals, bad meals. She even shows you the new outfit she's purchased in case she ever has occasion to wear it. So one day you tell her to put on the dress and start driving downtown. She's excited. But you drive right past the restaurant and you keep on driving to Billy Bishop Airport instead because you've emptied your savings, you've purchased tickets to New York City for the weekend and you're taking her to a Michelin-starred restaurant. In other words, you've taken her present desires and you've responded in a way that is more than she can ask or imagine. The people waving those palms, they wanted their present situation transformed. And yes, says Jesus, I do care deeply about the injustices and struggles of daily life, both here in Toronto, also in Yemen. But I'm the King Messiah. <laughs> I can give you more than you asked or imagined because the victory that I'm going to win, it's going to be over powers far greater 
than the local political despot or a greedy and corrupt economic system. I'm going to win a victory over sin, over death itself. Knowing that our past doesn't need to define us because God loves us so much, that's what gives you the courage to challenge the despot, to protest the greed. And not putting our heads in the sand uh, about our sin, that's what's going to give us the humility to apologize to our kids, uh, to financially sacrifice our comfort for the sake of the poor. Jesus takes our present desires, desires we often can't even you know, fully articulate, and he meets them in a way that should like blow our minds. The raising of Lazarus, the turning of water into wine, it's the beginning of Holy Week. You ain't seen nothing yet. So how does Jesus do this? Image number three, the cross. Jesus looked like a winner that first Palm Sunday, but what the crowds hadn't grasped was that he was going to win by losing. We don't have time to unpack it all today, come back on Good Friday. Because the King Messiah was entering Jerusalem for his coronation. And his crown was going to be a crown of thorns, and his throne was going to be a cross. King Charles, take note. The crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth, it's the most significant event in all of history. On the cross, Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, was fulfilling all the work that God's been doing through Israel in the past. So the past doesn't own us. On the cross, Jesus is meeting all the needs of our present desires, but with a victory over sin and a victory over death. Sin and death is not going to have the last word on my conduct as a leader. Sin and death is not going to have the last word on my marriage, on my children. My temporal future? It's in the hands of the King Messiah on a donkey riding towards the cross. I'm good. My eternal destiny? My eternal future? Well, Jesus is good. On that first Palm Sunday, everyone was asking, who is this? And if you're here still wondering how Jesus might transform your past, your present, and whatever the future holds for you, sign up for our upcoming Alpha course. It's right after Easter. Already learning how to follow Jesus, as many of you are here, then a connect group will give you friends for that lifelong journey. The week of weeks has begun. The king is on the way. Thanks be to God. Amen.